0: This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPM Philadelphia 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with news reports from members of the community. I'm Barbara Martin Ellis. And I'm E. Marie Lambert.
1: In the next half hour, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about how the Supreme Court ruling putting an end to affirmative action is affecting high school students, a series of events throughout the city to encourage young people to read, and what it means to be a friend of a local park.
0: But first, during the second day of the school year, students and teachers at John S. Jenks School in Chestnut Hill found white supremacist messages spread throughout the school's premises. One of the groups that responded quickly was the Philly Children's Movement, which is made up of families and educators committed to promoting racial justice. Block reporter Rashida Jammu spoke to one of the group's co-founders to find out more about how they're addressing this incident.
2: Most of the reactions were that of anger, frustration, and fear.
3: That's Tia Matheson, co-founder and core Philly Children's Movement member talking about the reactions of the John S. Jenks school parents and students in Philadelphia's Chestnut Hill area after mysterious postings of white supremacist language like White Lives Matter and White Men Rise Up appeared on the school's campus on the second day of school. I met up with Tia at Vernon Park in Germantown to talk about the incident and how the Philly Children's Movement stepped in to foster discussion and empower students. After noticing a post about the incident on the Next Door app, Tia contacted the team on whether Jenks would like help facilitating responsible dialogue and Philly children's movement sprung into action.
2: So we we try to do things in a way that feels like community. So we don't like to sit in straight lines and we don't, you know, like an auditory style response. So we gathered parents together. We got permission from the school. They did want us to come and do something with the community after school Schools were getting out early that day because of the heat. So at around 11 o'clock, we gathered parents with a megaphone. Mm -hmm. And we had one of our youth whose mom is a core member and a founder who's kind of grown up in Philly's children's movement. say lies on the microphone. And we gathered parents to just really in a conversational style to express how they felt. We had a poster up. We would... Ask their feelings and we would write them down and see what were their thoughts or their feelings and then what are some types of actions that they think as a school community they would like to take one thing that was really refreshing was that we actually did have some members of the Chestnut Hill community that aren't school parents that aren't affiliated with the school that also showed up to support and stand in solidarity with the school it's not lost that Chestnut Hill is a predominantly white wealthy neighborhood in our city and so for a school that is primarily black to exist in this part of the city and for this parents who live in chestnut hill who the majority of them that have school age children don't send their children to jinx it definitely feels like an assault on the children and the families at the school so for representatives from that community when people don't choose that school when people from that community to come out and say we do not stand for this we want to stand in solidarity with you i think that it sent a message to the students and the families that people do care and we we, you are welcome even if there are people that are clearly trying to make you feel the opposite
3: Tia says the facilitation left a lasting impression on the parents and students of the school, allowing them to feel heard, seen, and supported.
2: We had very positive responses from parents asking like, what the next steps might be, how can they get involved, what will they look like. So right now we're just trying to work with Jinx to see, you know, because we can't do anything without the school, it's their school. (laughs) Uh, So now we're working with Jinx to take all the information that we gathered from that day, the people's responses, to see how can we turn this into an action of further empowerment for the school.
3: Philly Children's Movement was founded in 2015 and teaches social justice advocacy to youth, families, and those who work with the youth.
2: We started off accomplishing that mission through doing child friendly marches so that uh, when Trayvon Martin was murdered, we wanted to respond to that, but we couldn't take our children downtown for a die in. So we started off just having a march in Northwest philadelphia and mount airy and then that evolved over time to having just really candid conversations on race in our homes and since then we've continued to do like outings in the park where we bring families together for picnics and we talk about race in that setting we've done it in combination with museums for black history month where we bring topics of race in a child-friendly way to museums More recently, it's been done through an educational setting. So either working with colleges or local schools that are interested in changing how they approach their curriculum, how they approach just their students in general about race, what that looks like. And then we've expanded beyond race. So it's not just race. Our focus will always be black and brown bodies, but it also extends to black and brown bodies in the LGBTQ community. So... It's not just racial, it's also social justice for all black and brown people.
3: For those looking to be involved or to learn more about the Philly Children's Movement, Tia lends this message.
2: We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. You can reach out and we are happy to have volunteers. We're always looking for more help in making children feel heard and seen and standing up for social justice.
3: This is Rashida Jamu for Block by Block.
1: This summer, the Supreme Court issued a ruling that ended affirmative action and college admission practices. My co-host, Barbara Martin-Ellis, spoke with local high school seniors to find out how that Supreme Court decision is affecting them as they prepare to apply for college.
0: On June 29th of this year, the Supreme Court eliminated race-conscious admissions policies at colleges across the country. Many anticipated the decision, but were still stunned by the emotional weight when it was actually rendered. The topic has been discussed across all lines of media, but I wanted to see what it looked like on the ground. I traveled to Imhotep Institute Charter High School, an African-centered STEM high school in Germantown, and spoke to the counselor and three students there. Can you please introduce yourself and tell me your role here? Michelle Wilson.
4: I am the director of post-secondary transition here at MOTEP. That entails college counseling. I'm the 12th grade team leader, making sure the seniors are on point with graduation requirements and getting them prepared for transitioning out of MOTEP. Our school, it was founded in 1998 by Dr. Mama Chris Wiggins. We're an African-centered STEM school. And right now we have about over 600 students from 9th through 12th grade. And most of our students come from this area where we're in the Germantown, Mount Airy area. But we do have some that come from like all over the city.
0: Can you tell me a bit about the college going culture at the school, students interested in college? Do some go to military? Do some go straight to work?
4: We have a variety. Our push is to I mean we used to be college going, but we've changed to post secondary because we want our students to have some type of plan. And some students may not want to go to college, may it's not for everybody. So we have a lot of students that go to trade schools. We do have students who go to military. We have students who go to the workforce and join like the union. We expose them to all of those options as well because we bring people in to talk to them about every option. Our Percentage right now, last year 2023 class, it was probably seventy-five percent went to a four-year school and the other twenty-five percent was between trade schools, two-year schools, and
0: military. As a counselor, after the Supreme Court decision, has it changed the way you think about or recommend schools to students?
4: Honestly, it hasn't. We all weren't happy with it, but it hasn't really changed of how I recommend the schools because A lot of our students look at HBCUs. Our students really know the disparities, but they also are helping to fight those disparities. So they say, you know, we're going to go to an HBCU and come out and see what we can do to help our community to do better.
0: MOTEP is known for sports. I spoke with senior Asia Taylor, who is busy with preseason basketball and hopeful the team will do well this year. Asia has already submitted applications to a few schools to study nursing. Right now, the plan is to play basketball in college, but not professionally. What activities are you involved in at your school and in your school community? I play basketball for MLT, called the Lady Panthers.
5: Uh, right now for preseason, we're just building and making sure like we're good for the season.
0: When's the season start? In November. Where are you
5: in your college application process? As far as the college essay part, I'm I'm working on it. And I'm applying to anything that best fits what I want to do as a major. Aside from your major, like what are you looking for as far as a home for four years? I want to live on campus for sure. I want to see how the community is on college and stuff like that, how they carry themselves, how the professors carry themselves and
0: everything. So we want to talk about the Supreme Court. Do you have any reflections on
5: that? I think it's wrong as far as for us seniors that's 2024 20, and the rest of 2025 and stuff like that. It just like lift it and make it how it used to be. Then I feel like black people going to struggle a lot with getting into colleges. Like they're going to have to either go to a black college or struggle getting into like a,
0: a white college. Despite the SCOTUS decision, for the most part, the seniors that I spoke to had no plans to alter the way they planned to apply to college. I checked in with Nathaniel Webb, who'd been busy helping with his school's drives. A member of the National Honor Society, Nathaniel helps coordinate blood drives, toy drives, back-to-school drives, gathering school supplies for preschoolers. He plans to major in computer engineering and has a mix of HBCUs and predominantly white schools on his list. For Nathaniel, the cost of college is what's occupying his mind.
6: I'm not going to lie. Every time I look into a college, I make sure I look at the tuition because I don't want it to be too expensive because a lot of times when I hear about colleges, people talk about depth after college, and I don't really want to go through that.
0: But yeah, what's on your list?
6: To be honest, I won't give you particular names, but I looked up HBCUs that's like majors in computer engineering because that's my major I want to look into.
0: So are you keeping your list just the HBCUs? Uh, no,
6: I, like I got a top 10 list, and my first two is like the races is like diverse. So it's like a lot of different races, but the black community in the, uh, that college is kind of low to...
0: And where are you in your process of essays, testing, all that stuff?
6: At the moment, I haven't applied for any colleges, but I have a couple of colleges that I I would choose when it's that time. And for my personal essay, I started it, but I'm kind of stuck at the moment. But I think I got it.
0: Some students, like Renaya Price, have been working on their craft for years and plan to use college to refine their skills.
7: I'm a photographer, so I try to get myself involved with anything that falls into the media category. They just started, like, a media program. They, like, built a media room, and I try to get myself involved with that a lot. I guess you could say, like, far as the community, I try to, like, go to our basketball games or football games and take pictures or whatever to build my uh, portfolio. Are you working? Uh, I guess you could say my work would be my photography, because that's my social income right now. Tell me about what are you photographing. So when I say photography, and I like to really say visual media only because I don't just focus on one category. Like I said, I try to do sports, like lifestyle shoots and studio shoots and things of that nature. Most of my schools are predominantly white, but it's kind of diverse. So it's a mixture of multiple races. I don't think going to a predominantly white school is really my concern because I'm not really worried about fitting in. You know what I'm saying? I'm open for friendships and all that, so I don't think it'll be a problem unless I make it one. <laughs> and what are you looking forward to and hope to get out of college? I really want to go to college, obviously, the experience and to also get a better understanding of photography. I know a lot about it, but I feel like it's good, because I want this to be, like, my job. You know I want to do this. So I feel like it would be good to get extra understanding of it and also it would probably be fun.
5: i a better future set me on the right path because when you get out of college you still got your job and stuff like that so just giving me structure and set me on the right path.
6: I'm going to major in computer engineering to be honest after college I don't really know I just want to be rich like I'm going to be the next billionaire so I feel like computer engineering will probably take me there.
0: Reading Promise Rate runs from October 7th through the 15th. The Family-Oriented Literacy Festival is organized by the Philadelphia Free Library's Read by Forth team, and there will be dozens of events taking place throughout the region. My co-host, E. Marie Lambert, met with two of the organizers to find out more. She visited the Share Food Warehouse, where Read by Forth's Projects Manager, Clinton Dries, and Executive Director, Ginny Bergoni, were helping volunteers pack literacy kits ahead of the event.
1: In the midst of all of these boxes and canned goods and all this wonderful food are tables filled with boxes and bags of books and literacy materials that are going throughout the region for Read by Forth Reading Promise Week. So tell us how Reading Promise Week got started.
8: So Reading Promise Week um, harkens back to the Reading Promises. And this was a set of practices that we want parents um, and caregivers of our young readers to make to create those literacy-rich environments at home to help cultivate early literacy. And it was done with inputs from families, parents, partners, teachers. Um, So we're celebrating our fourth Reading Promise Week this year and it's really calling to mind awareness of the literacy crisis that we face here in philadelphia as well as across the country and hopefully we're tapping into that awareness element we're bringing resources to parents about early literacy because while not every parent is a reading specialist all parents and guardians are the first teachers of reading to our little ones so we are trying to tap into getting knowledge out We're trying to tap into the motivation piece, which is critical in reading and give families and youth joyful experiences attached to a love of literacy.
9: And I just want to add that what makes Reading Promise Week really special is while we are helping families with resources and understanding we're also celebrating what our communities are already doing to support young readers. We know that all across the city are families who want their children to grow up to be strong readers and we've asked those communities and those families to step forward and design their own celebrations. So Reading Promise Week really is a citywide festival that is joyful, that is lifting up community voices around early literacy.
1: So this year I will be participating and Reading Promise Week. I hosted a virtual pajama party last year for Reading Promise Week, and I will be doing the same again this year. And I think that's a wonderful event, one, because I get to stay home, right? (laughs) But also the virtual bedtime story is, again, to promote literacy in the home. Mm -hmm. Bedtime stories are so simple. They don't have to be long or drawn out. They're a lot of fun, and we're on for 30 minutes, and I sing a few songs because I am songly challenged. It's my superpower. (laughs) And I just think that it's a nice way to add to the festival. So what are some of the other events that are happening throughout the city?
8: We have 71 events, all of which are unique and different. We want every Reading Promise Week event to be free, open to the public about a love of literacy, celebrating the diverse cultures of literacy and sharing that important resources and information for parents. So that said, everything else from there can really vary. A couple of things I'm excited about this year, There's an event that's happening in Malcolm X Park that's gonna be a mix of different Caribbean and African communities coming together. There's gonna be a Haitian dance performance. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a stem piece attached to it with kite making, and they'll be flying the kites that they made the day before at that event and just seeing like such like brilliance and ingenuity and resourcefulness. We have a number of libraries who are taking work that they're already doing and making a big celebration on those days. We have a number of community schools who are hosting events at the end of the school day, getting those parents into the schoolyard, getting them information and sharing with them. We'll have our Latinx Literacy Fest because of course we're in Hispanic Heritage Month. And so that's happening again this year, which we're really excited about.
9: Families can find out where all the events are happening and when they're happening if they go to our website.
8: Readingpromise.org.
9: And then you look at the top of the page, there'll be a banner for Reading Promise Week. And there's a
1: map that shows the events with each detail. So I'm looking around and I see a ton of teal-colored bags with books in them. So tell us, what's in the bags exactly that young people and families can expect to get when they come out to these events? Well, every family can expect to
9: get one of the tote bags. The tote bags has a coloring book and an activity book for young children, along with crayons, of course, to use with that book, and that book really builds all the early literacy skills that we know are important. And then also in the bag is a maraca, because we want families to sing and play with their children because we know rhythm is an important way to bring out that rhyming and phonemic awareness. And then there's lots of pieces of paper that have information for families that is important, information for raising a reader. We also have a really special ABC poster that's Philadelphia specific, you know, like G is for gritty Mm. because we love our gritty in Philly. And every child will get a book as well.
1: While Reading Promise Week is one of the main events, Read by Forth has boots on the ground weekly in several communities. The work of Read by Forth happens year round throughout the city. Reading captain, facilitator, and trainer, Dorian Harris, shares some of Read by Force ongoing
10: initiatives. Sometimes we got to go out to the community. We know the families need the resources, but sometimes the families don't know where to get the resources that they are actually looking for. So by ways of having an event, you know, with the cocoa and books and the love for literacy, and the reading is my superpowers. Taking that into the communities and being able to share those resources, Sometimes some of me and my reading captain, we'll just set up a table outside of a train station. Like, and We'll just put a table out, we'll put some resources out and put some books out there and families will stop and get the resources. So it's about really, we have to meet the community where they are. And that's mainly about us going into the community, not the community coming out to us. Unless mm-hmm. it's at an event, you know, I mean, we like them to come out to us at events, but we really just like to push those resources out there at any given time and any given day.
1: I've worked in early education for nearly 30 years, so I understand the challenges, benefits, and the impact of early literacy. Two-thirds of students in our city are reading below grade level. Organizations like Read by Fourth, along with reading captains and other community partners, work continually to help change that. You don't have to be an educator to be a reading captain. All you have to do is want to make a difference.
0: There are over 100 public parks in Philadelphia. And while the city is responsible for maintaining these parks, there are also over 100 Friends of Parks organizations for volunteers who want to get involved. Block by Block's Kathy Brown recently spoke with Felicia Coward from Friends of Vernon Park, which is located in Philadelphia's Germantown neighborhood. Their conversation was recorded this past weekend at the 92.9 Community of Joy Festival in Germantown. What is Friends of Vernon Park?
11: Well, it's a community organization that is organized around the parks in our neighborhoods. In fact, Vernon Park was one of the first four Friends groups in the city. Now there are over 134 groups. And we are the stewards of the park. We're not the park rangers. (laughs) We don't do any enforcement. Even for permits, you submit your application downtown. If you're having a problem, you can reach out to us and we can help you. But we don't do any of the administrative work. Our whole purpose is to keep the park open for the entire community, which means it needs to be well monitored. And that's not us. We have they have workers who do the maintenance. But we actually come on a regular basis and do the cleaning, volunteer cleanup groups. And in fact, today we had a group from Villanova. They helped us trim the trees. They worked with us for our rain garden, which we were one of the first rain gardens in the city. And that was to address the flooding issues in the city. So that's an example of the volunteer organizing we do we have neighborhood schools who also organize groups of children to come and help clean the park we have the activities during the summer and all season actually but one special activity for the summer is under the old shady tree it's a program for young children to encourage reading and we have activities. The puppet master comes every year. The mighty writers come. So it's a way to use the park as a place for enjoyment and learning for the entire family. That is some awesome work you guys are doing over there. About how many folks is it on Friends? We have a very small group, around a dozen. But that's a mighty, mighty group. For example, we're planning our think it's our sixth bazaar it's in october and vendors and the neighbors everyone just can't wait to come to that and uh, right now we have 50 vendors so we're able to reach out in that ways to bring uh, the community together in another way and that is to enjoy the park together to sell your merchandise, to see your neighbors you haven't seen in a long time. So it just becomes a meeting place in a lot of different ways. So if it's a concert, the councilwoman has the uh, oldies in the parks in the summer. We've had many art installations that we've helped and partner with the art organizations in the park. And years ago, Burnham Park was known for the Unity Festivals. And they had all the musicians, local musicians and jazz musicians and a whole array of world music, folk music, vendors. And when I first moved to Philadelphia, and that was in 70, Vernon Park was the place to go. So it's an all-inclusive park. If someone wanted to get in touch with friends of Vernon Park, what would they do? We're on Facebook, Friends of Vernon Park, and we also have a monthly meeting when the weather allows. We'll meet in the park, and then in the winter or if any other issues arise, we do a Zoom meeting. Miss
1: Felicia, I am so grateful you took this time to sit down with me and, and do this information so that people could know what Friends of Vernon Park is and the wonderful work that you do. I thank you so much. Thank you. Block by Block is produced by Rashid Ajamu, Kirsten Adams, Kathy Brown, Connie Kam, Brett Roman-Williams, and us,
0: Barbara Martin-Ellis,
1: and E-Marie Lambert. Kathy Brown is our board operator tonight.
0: Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM. Peter Liu is Radio Operations Manager, and Allison Durham is WPPM's Radio Program Manager. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Block by Block featuring more stories about issues affecting life in the Philly region. You can find past episodes of the show on Philly Cam SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.